Well, good morning again. <laughs> I'm just really blessed to share with you guys today. And, um, and for those of you that were here Wednesday, as I've said before, uh, periodically, uh, God has uh, given me the opportunity to share something, teach something on a Wednesday night, and then the Lord moves to uh, have me share it again on Sundays. And so if you were here Wednesday and you heard this message, maybe he wants you to hear it twice. And so <laughs> take some more notes and see what God's doing. But yeah, this morning I want to talk about how to process today's trials in light of our future hope. You know, as Christians, we look forward to heaven. We look forward to that time we're going to be with the Lord forever. And a part of that looking forward to that is so that we will be not here anymore, right? Done with this life, done with the difficulties and the trials. You know, but sometimes the truth of, of looking forward to our future hope which is meant to encourage us and to bring comfort and to help us get through trials, doesn't seem all that comforting, right? You know, I don't know if you've ever been told when you're in the middle of a difficult trial, you know, then you're just like, I just don't understand, and it's so hard and so difficult. And someone goes, oh, that's okay, you'll get to heaven one day. And you're like, well, thanks, but that doesn't help me now. I'm, I'm still struggling now. And, uh, and that's why I titled this study, I Didn't Sign Up For This, because I think all of us at one time or another in our life have found us in moments, in times, in trials, in difficulties, where we simply say, I didn't sign up for this. Why is this happening? And so, um, but to kind of frame it a little bit, you know, how, how many of you have routines? You know, routines in your life, you know, things you do on a regular basis, right? I, I think we all have them to one degree or another. We have work routines. We have life routines. Uh, we have routines in our, in our relaxing and recreation time. Um, one of my routines, and I shared this Wednesday, um, is I, I get up in the morning, and the first thing I do is get some coffee because my brain is barely functioning, and I just sit, and I'll either listen to a podcast. Uh, that's, I'm doing that more and more today, but I used to just like flip on the TV and just watch something as my brain slowly came to life over the course of the morning. Um, we have weekly routines. We have yearly routines. We have things we do on certain days in certain ways. You know, some of those yearly routines are, are predictable events, like we always do this on Thanksgiving. We always do that on Christmas. Um, you know, obviously, the... the big thing that, that, that men especially need to remember is that anniversary, right? Once a year, you have to celebrate that. Don't forget, right? And, and um, you know, it's just a part of our lives. But every once in a while, every once in a while, something comes out of the blue. Something comes out of left field. Life throws something at us that we simply weren't expecting. And it completely wrecks our routine it messes up our, our schedule. It gets in the way of everything. And it's just like life just seems to crash down on us and all of our plans. And our expectations get thrown out of whack. It could be related to your, your job situation. It could be relational. It could be, um, you know, serving and ministry. It, it could be whatever. And it just seems like everything gets messed up. And we find ourselves kind of stunned, not knowing what to do, not knowing what happened, what hit us. And it's because we don't see these things coming. They just, again, come out of left field, and they're completely unexpected. Well, this morning, looking at verses 6 and 7 in the book of First Peter, I want to look at what to do with our trials as they're in front of us right now. 
Sure, we have the hope of heaven. Sure, we know that God is working. Sure. But what do we do? How do we, how do we look at our trials now when they're right in front of us, when we're right in the midst of these things? These two verses we're going to be looking at this morning um, take two words and put them together in a way that many of us might not think they should. And those two words are rejoice and trials. And those are two words that I don't think many of us would voluntarily put together on a regular basis, right? Especially when it's the phrase of rejoice in trials. And yet both of these words are in the same sentence that Peter writes here, and we might think, should these words even go together, right? Usually the concept is we rejoice when the trials are over, right? That's when we celebrate, right? We, we rejoice when everything's handled, but to rejoice in trials, to welcome them and embrace them, they're two words that just seem strange together. You know, there's words in our English language that are like that when you think jumbo shrimp, right? Two words that mean opposite things. Doesn't really go together well. You might think of new antiques. Sometimes people say I'm kind of pregnant, what does that even mean, right? You're either pregnant or you're not. I've heard people go, yeah, I'm sort of married. <laughs> what? Don't tell your spouse that, you know? Um, but even in Scripture, we have, we have phrases that are two words that seem contradictory. We have the virgin birth. We have the concept of dying to live. We have the concepts of, of the first will be last, right? And some of those, we go, oh, that makes sense, but rejoice in trials, we're not all that excited when these two words are put together, especially when it's telling us to rejoice in our trials. But the fact that Peter writes about these two concepts, the fact that Peter puts them in the very same sentence, the very same breath, teaches us, and it's the lesson we need to learn as believers in this world, that it is very possible that in the midst of great suffering, it is very possible for us to have great joy. So let's pray, and then we'll get into it. Father, we thank you so much for your word, and we thank you, God, how it encourages us, Lord. God, sometimes you speak to us multiple times in multiple ways, Lord, messages that you really want us to hear, God, and so we're thankful, Lord, to, to, to hear your word, to hear what it says to encourage us. And God, this morning, I pray, Lord, you really do help us to, to understand trials from a biblical perspective, both sides of them, the good side, the bad side, the ups, the downs, Lord, and that we would learn and know that, that, God, why we're in the midst of our trials, we can rejoice. We can find joy because of what the trials accomplish, what the purpose of those trials in are in our lives, God. And so, Lord, yes, we look forward to heaven as your children. We are eager to get, get out of this world and to be with you forever in glory. But, God, while we are still here, living day by day, week by week, month by month, and so on. Lord, may we as your children have a proper perspective of the trials we go through and allow those trials to fulfill their purpose in our lives that you allow them for. So God, we thank you, we love you. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. All right, verse six of 1 Peter chapter one, the writer says this. Peter says, you rejoice in this, even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Now, this sentence is referring to the previous verses, verses three through five, because when he says you rejoice in this, the question you should ask is rejoice in what? What is he talking about? Well, he's talking about verses three through five, which in a quick summary teach us that, that, that when, when, when you start to endure suffering, when you're entering into trials, the best place to start 
the foundation, if you will, that you should lay to give you the most successful um, uh, potential to get through that trial you know, victoriously is to understand that God has the power to save you. God has the power to secure you, and God has the power to make sure that you're gonna get through this life into heaven. If you're his child, that, that's a done deal. If you are saved, if you are genuinely, sincerely saved, God has, has forgiven you, washed you clean of your sins, sealed you with the Holy Spirit of promise, then it doesn't matter what happens in this life. You're gonna get to heaven. Because Almighty God is, is supremely powerful, and is much bigger and more powerful than anything that can take place in this life. And so that's a foundational truth to start dealing with our, our, uh, our issues. And the point is when you look around and you look at your life and what's taking place, and, and quite honestly, there, we have those times where there's not much in front of us really to rejoice about. There's not much going on around us to celebrate that in those trials, it's always key to start by looking ahead and, and, and anchoring yourself in the future, knowing what God has in store for you, what he's promised for you, what he has ready for you. And when you do that, you and I can begin to rejoice in our trials, to see the joy in those trials. But that was verses three through five. We're looking at verses six and seven this morning because this morning I wanna focus on the trials themselves, right? What trials are. And, and like I said earlier, when trials are happening in our lives, oftentimes we could find ourselves saying, this isn't what I signed up for, right? You know, I got in this re uh, relationship and, and, and trials are happening. That's not what I signed up for. I embarked on this vocational thing, this career, this job, and things aren't going my way. That's not what I signed up for. God, I'm, I'm doing the spiritual disciplines that you're calling me to do. I'm doing everything, and yet, yet things seem to be falling apart and getting more difficult. That's not what I signed up for. We hate trials. They hurt. They're difficult. They cause worry. They cause distress. But biblically, we are called to also love our trials, to embrace our trials, or at least we should, because of what they produce in our lives. Now, sure, we don't feel love for our trials when we're going through them, right? But, but we do find ourselves loving it when it's all over. When we're able to look back and see the pain is gone, we've learned valuable lessons. But there is something key about in the midst of it to be able to rejoice in what's taking place. And so one thing we learn about trials from verse 6, it tells us in verse 6, you rejoice in this even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So the first thing we learn about trials in verse six is that they're various, they're diverse, all right? Trials are uh, almost uh, uncountable. You know, that word various just simply means having great diversity or variety. Other translations of scripture might say all kinds of trials there instead of various trials. Some of the older translations say manifold trials. The word in the Greek literally means multicolored or uh, many colored. So the idea is that when the, the word Peter is using here to describe the quantity of trials that exist in our lives, he's like it's an endless palette of color. It's an endless palette of color. It's an interesting word because um, as a tech guy, you know, I'm, I'm familiar with, with, with computers and computer monitors and TVs, and, and some of you may be familiar with this, but modern televisions and computers can display up to 16.77 million colors. 
That's how many colors a TV screen can simultaneously show on the screen. Um, It's interesting because the human eye, according to science, is determined to only be able to distinguish between one and three million simultaneous colors. So, you know, before you spend that extra $500 on that expensive TV in the future because it does all 16 million colors, just consider you can only see a fraction of that, okay? Um, but, you know, there are rare people in the world that, that, that can see more colors, right? TVs are kind of built around human biology, right? In our eyes, we have three cones, red, green, and blue, and those three colors can, when you mix them together, can, can form every other color uh, known to man, right? And then there's some humans that have a fourth cone in their eyeball, and, and they could see, you know, nuances of color in different ways. Um, I've never been tested for that, but I've always been able to see nuances of color that other people can't see. Um, I told this story Wednesday, but back in 2012, there was uh, uh, this, this certain colored Honda Fit that I wanted to buy. And it was orange, right? But it was a, a sunburst orange. And I was like, that's the car I want. So I started calling around, and nobody had the 2012 Honda Fit in stock. Nobody in Southern California. And I was like, well, come on. This, this car is beautiful. I love the color. But in 2011, they had made an orange Honda Fit, but it was a different orange, right? And in 2010, they had made an orange Honda Fit, but it was a different orange. And so I had all these salesmen constantly saying, well, no, the, we have the orange 2011 one. And I'm like, no, that, that's too caramel. And then, well, we have the 2010 one. No, that's too tangerine. And I would have salespeople going, what are you talking about? They're all orange. I'm like, no, they're not. They're not all orange, you know? And so point being is that as, as, as many colors can exist on a TV or a computer monitor, as many colors exist in, the, in the, just the concept of creation, that's how many different trials exist in the world that we can find ourselves going through. They come in all shades, all hues. Some trials are small, right? You had to park far away, you know, at the store. Some trials are, are massive, right? Loss or death of a loved one or health issues, you know, um, relationship issues can be, can be devastating. But Peter sums it all up, that we suffer grief in various trials. Now, categorizing trials can probably take a lifetime, but I think all of us um, suffer trials in three broad categories. And the Bible talks about all three of these types of trials. There's physical trials we go through, there's mental or emotional trials we go through, and then there's spiritual trials that we all go through as God's kids. Now, physical trials, as I mentioned, could be things like, like health issues, right? Uh, you get that cancer diagnosis, uh, someone suffers a stroke, heart attacks, um, other sicknesses and de- disease. The Bible talks about these types of physical trials. There's other physical stuff that can happen, uh, trials that, that, that affect physical things, like you get into a car accident, someone breaks into your home. It can even be financial issues. These are all under kind of finan- or physical trials. You know, in Scripture, you see Job, you know, a man who, who is just, you know, right before God's eyes. And yet he suffered this horrible skin condition that, that the Lord allowed the devil to, to bring into his life. And then you have Paul, who we'll talk about more later, suffered the thorn in the flesh, which most scholars think was some type of eye disease that he had. But there's chapters and chapters written in Scripture about physical trials, sicknesses, diseases, conditions, situations that affect God's people, and we're not immune to that. Mental and emotional trials include things like depression and suicidal thinking, anxieties, fears. You know, um, 20, 30 years ago, you know, mental health was, was not talked about as much as it is today, 
right? Mental health is a way bigger issue today. Now, I don't think mental health just started existing in the last 30 years. I just think people started realizing, wow, this is a big deal, you know? And so, um, so many of us struggle with, with, with different mental health issues, and these are trials that come into our lives. You know, the book of Psalms, I think, is loved by so many of us in the church because when you open the book of Psalms and read it, and you read about some of the stuff that, that, that King David was dealing with, the mental health issues that he was dealing with, the fears, the worries, you know, sometimes we could be like, you know, are, are you serious? Like, God's chosen are, are suffering that kind of trauma? Well, I really identify with that, and I think that's one of the reasons why we love the book of Psalms, is because we see people dealing with the things that we deal with, but then we also see how they're dealing with it as a child of God, right? How they come out of it, how they have a proper perspective. King David in Psalm 6-6 said this, I am weary from my groaning. With my tears, I dampen my bed and drench my couch every night. How many of us have experienced times in our lives where the tears were so great that they drenched our couch, dampened the bed we lie in? I mean, that's some serious emotional trauma. Elijah, who is... um, I mean, one of the most incredible spokesmen for God, one of the prophets of God, he experienced exhaustion and depression such that he wanted to kill himself or wanted God to kill him, to put it more accurately. In 1 Kings chapter 19, verse 4, it says this. He went on a day's journey into the wilderness. This is a man who had spoken for God and performed miracles, okay? He sat down under a broom tree and prayed that he might die. He said, I've had enough. Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. Many of us have found ourselves in situations where where things could get so difficult that we're like, I just want to be done. I just want to be done with all of this. So distraught as Elijah there, he wanted to die. That's an emotional trial. And then there's spiritual trials, and I think these are the trials that we go through when we're wrestling with our own sin, we're wrestling with the guilt that comes about it, or even wrestling with our doubts about God. These are spiritual trials. You know, John the Baptist, who was kind of the herald of Jesus Christ, found himself in prison at one point in his ministry. And he was the guy, he believed in Jesus, he believed he was the Messiah, he was there at the baptism and the Holy Spirit fell upon Jesus. I mean, it was, he just had an amazing connection to him, but at this point in John's life, Jesus wasn't making things happen the way John the Baptist was expecting Jesus to make things happen, right? How many of us identify with that moment? And so John the Baptist sent messengers to Jesus and asked him this question. Are you really the one or should we look for someone else? And that's a reality that so many of us can deal with in our lives where we find ourselves where we might have spiritual expectations that aren't met, or, or, or they're not meant in the time or the way we were expecting, or our spiritual expectations might just be wrong, but we, but we find ourselves expecting God to do something spiritually, and it doesn't happen the way we want, and we find ourselves going, is he real? Am I really God's child? Are you the one, or, or, or should, should I look for someone else? And maybe you're having that kind of trial this morning. Those are heavy spiritual doubts. So yeah, the first thing we learn from Peter is that trials are indeed varied, diverse, multicolored. The second thing we learn from verse six about trials is that they cause great grief. And I think this is the reason most of us hate trials, 
right? They cause grief. Look at verse six again. You rejoice in this, right? The hope of heaven, our future salvation. Even though now for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Now that word grief means to become sorrowful or distressed. When we think of grief, you might think of someone being sad at a funeral, right? They lost someone, they're crying, they're grief-stricken, right? You might think of grief in, in that concept of just, I'm sad, but it means more than that. This word grief here means to be worn out or weighed down. It's like walking through life and you're loaded down with so much, just enough to allow you to keep moving, right? And so it seems like life has just loaded you down and you're with shaky legs, you're barely able to take the next step. And then someone comes along and throws more on top. And you're like, I, I can't do it anymore. I'm gonna buckle, I'm gonna fall, it's too much. I'm weighed down, it's crushing me. You're grieved by it. That's what this word means. Now grief, especially in trials, is a normal and healthy human expression. It is normal and healthy to experience grief and to express grief. That's key, that's key. Because there's, there's many in the world um, today and more so in the past when I was growing up, um, and especially to, to me as a, as, a, as a male, you know, oh, don't, don't show your emotions, don't express grief. It's unhealthy for, for boys to cry, you know? Um, and, and it wasn't just males that experienced that, but then there's still places today where they say, no, it, it's, it's wrong to express grief. And some even go so far to say, oh, if you're a Christian, you, you shouldn't do that. That's gonna cause people to question your God, right? Because you're a Christian, you're saved. You're supposed to be happy all the time. And anybody that tells you that is wrong, is flat out wrong. Experiencing grief is normal. Expressing grief is normal, and it's healthy. It is right and healthy to be honest in our trials and to simply acknowledge, I'm grieved. It is right and healthy to come to God and go, God, I'm grieved. It is okay to do that. Pretending you're not isn't healthy. Jeremiah, in chapter 15, verse 18, said, Why has my pain become unending, my wound incurable, refusing to be healed? And we've all been there to one degree or another that we would say, when is my pain going to be over? Solomon said in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 4, that there is a time to weep as well as a time to laugh. And so grief is okay. Grief is, is healthy to be expressed. As a matter of fact, in ancient times, when Hebrews lost a loved one. There was someone in the family that they lost, a friend, a family member, a spouse. It was socially accepted that there was to be a public period of grieving that lasted 30 days. It was expected. 30 days. Society expected you to not only grieve, but to show your grief for an entire month. Now, it didn't mean that, that you, you just took the month off and disappeared. But to put it in modern concepts, what it meant was that when you came to work, you were able to come to work wearing your sackcloth and being covered in ashes because it's expected, it's understood you're grieving for an entire month. You need to take a, a break, an extra break today because you just got to go outside and wail and weep. 
totally good, totally expected, because that was how it worked. It was expected to do that, and, and maybe we need more of that in our world today. So yeah, trials cause grief. We can't deny that. We can't pretend they don't. But the third thing we learn about trials is that they can be helpful. They can be good for us. They can be needful. Look at verse 6 again. He says, you rejoice in this, again, our future hope of heaven, even though now, so you're able to rejoice in the hope of heaven, even though now, for a short time, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. So the rejoice you have in your future hope in heaven can, can be brought into now, even for a short time, speaking of our life here on earth, he says, if necessary, you suffer grief in various trials. Do any of you remember the taste of cough syrup when you were a kid? Pretty disgusting, right? You know, it was always like, don't get sick because mom's going to come at you with that spoon of that just disgusting poison, right? And, and if it was grape-flavored, wow, you were in for it now because the grape-flavored was like the worst kind. And so she, you know, here, take it. It's good for you. It's medicine. And you choke it down, and it's foul, and it's gross. And you're just like, how can anything this nasty possibly be good for me? That's what this phrase, if necessary, is. All right? If necessary. What Peter is saying is that there are times in our lives when God knows it's necessary for us to experience a trial. There are times in our lives when we're going through trials and they're exactly God's will for us, right? That's a hard one for us to swallow because oftentimes we think of trials and we're like, God, get me out of this trial. God, get me out of this trial. And many times God's going, no, you're, you're in it because I'm allowing it to happen because it's needful, it's necessary. Now this is contradictory to a lot of modern theology especially feel-good preaching, that'll say, oh, it's never God's will for you to go through any trials, right? God's children are supposed to be always perpetually happy, perfect, and, and, and it's like, come on, really? Have you ever lived a day, right? Um, I flat out disagree with, with that type of modern theology. You know, the whole book of First Peter is about suffering, right? So much of Scripture is about suffering. So much, many of the New Testament letters are about suffering in this world. The Old Testament is all about God's people suffering, right? There's so much suffering um, that the Bible talks about, but more specifically, Peter in his letter, he writes about suffering according to the will of God. Very specifically, in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 17, he says, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. So we learn there that it can be God's will for us to suffer. In 1 Peter 4.19, he says, So then, let those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a faithful creator while doing what is good. Now, many of us, when we're suffering in trials, it's difficult for us to go, Oh, I must be suffering this trial because it's God's will for my life. That's not our knee-jerk reaction, right? Now, sure, there are trials we go through where it's easier to have that concept. You know, if you're out sharing your faith, passing out gospel tracts, and someone throws it at you or spits in your face, right? That's an easy one to go, oh, I'm suffering while doing the will of God. It is God's will for me to suffer because that's how this works. But what about when you lose your job? 
If you're a business owner, what happens if you suddenly lose half your staff? I don't know if you guys read the article yesterday. It says 4.4 million people quit their jobs in the last month. You know, if you're a business owner, that can be very impactful. Or what about when your car breaks down at the worst time and it's the only car your family has? When he says, those who suffer according to God's will entrust themselves to a, faithful, to a faithful creator while doing what is good. What he's talking about, what he means by entrusting ourselves to a faithful creator while suffering according to God's will, he means that when we're in the trial, when we're suffering, we acknowledge that, that the need in our life that is being met in that moment by that trial is likely a need we don't even know we have. It's saying that there's something God is doing through this trial that is good for me, even though I may not know what it is. That is the concept of entrusting yourselves in a trial. And that's tough. That's tough, but, but we profess as Christians, right? God is almighty, God is sovereign, God is omnipotent, he's all-knowing, right? We, we, we profess that. Well, professing that means that, that we believe and you live according to the fact that God is in control, always. Even in the trial, God is in control. Even when what you're experiencing, God is in control. God is working. You know, God, God's got your back. You're his kid. And so when we're in these trials, we, we, we need to trust him because sometimes those trials are being allowed purposefully for our good. They're necessary, and that's what he means when he says, if necessary, sometimes we suffer grief through various trials. Now, you might be thinking, what need could I possibly have that a trial is going to meet? Right? What need could, could, could suffering possibly help? Well, I believe trials are, are helpful and needful and necessary for us at times because sometimes we need what's called a course correction. We're off base. Uh, we're going the wrong way. We're stepping the wrong direction, and we don't know it. We don't know it. You know, if you're a parent, I think you understand this more than single people possibly could, right? Um, or people without kids. You know, your kids start growing up. They start to exert their own private will. They start to develop their own personality. You know, and sometimes as they're, as they're growing, they start to get to that point where instead of just doing everything you tell them to do, you find that one moment where they don't want to do what you're telling them to do. And you get that dreaded no for the first time, right? And it's like, what did you say to me? You know, because from the day I brought you into this world, I have dominion over your life. You don't pay bills, right? All of that. No. You're like, ah, uh, what do I do, right? And then, and then, you know, sometimes kids can get really hardened, really obstinate, really uncooperative, right? And, and as parents, you know that in those moments, you know, parents, grandparents, raising kids, whatever it may be, that there are times where you have to discipline your kids. There are times you have to discipline your kids where you, where you need to effectively bring trial into their lives that may cause grief into their lives so that they can grow. You know, it's, it's not so common now in the world, according to my understanding, but when I was a kid, getting spanked was commonplace, right? 
go back even farther than that, it was common for the, the principal of the school to spank the kids, right? Not so common now because, oh no, how dare you, you know, discipline your children. Now, I do acknowledge fully that there is a place where discipline becomes abuse, and abuse is wrong in any way, shape, or form in any context. But discipline is needful. And as parents, you might find yourselves in the places going, look, this discipline, I need to discipline my kids because it's necessary to course correct, correct their behavior. Their, their direction is wrong, and I, and I need to fix that. I need to course correct their thoughts. I need to course correct their attitudes. I need to course correct something, and so I have to discipline them. And the goal is not to break the child's spirit, right? But the goal is to change their will. And it's needful and necessary. Psalms chapter 119.67. The psalmist writes, Before I was afflicted, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Right? Modern translation. Before I got spanked by you, O God, I went astray, but now I keep your word. Anybody here ever been spanked by God? Course corrected? Yeah. And it's not fun. And sometimes it's painful. But as our loving Father, it's needful for us at times. Trials correct us. That's how they're needful. That's how they can be necessary. C.S. Lewis said, pain plants the flag of truth in the fortress of a rebel soul. Sometimes we need that. And there are times when suffering, grief, and various trials is necessary because it corrects us. Trials can also be helpful because they humble us. They humble us. You see, pain, grief, the, the, the difficulty we experience in trials can um, often, they do something to us mentally that kind of brings us back down to earth, right? They bring, it brings us back down to earth. It humbles us. Paul the Apostle experienced this humility through a trial. Um, in 2 Corinthians chapter 12, he was talking about revelations that he experienced. And I mean, if you, if you study Paul's life, you'll find that there was four major revelations from God that he experienced where God spoke to him, showed him something that was just amazing. And these revelations were such that they had the, the danger of puffing Paul up to make him feel like he was special, superior to other people. And so God needed to humble him. One of those visions that Paul experienced is where God took him up into the third heaven. And the third heaven is a, is a, it's a Jewish phrase. Like the Jews understood that the first heaven was our atmosphere, the second heaven was outer space, and the third heaven was God's throne room, right? Where God was. And so God gave Paul a revelation of heaven, and it was so amazing. Paul said, I don't even have words to describe it to you. It was that just mind-blowing. In 2 Corinthians 12, verse 7 and 8, Paul said, Therefore, so that I would not exalt myself, a thorn in the flesh was given to me, a messenger of Satan to torment me so I would not exalt myself. Concerning this, I pleaded with the Lord three times that, he would, that it would leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you and my power is perfected in weakness. And so Paul was humbled by this trial, this thorn in the flesh that he was received to keep him humble through what God was doing in his lives. Trials are also helpful, not only because they correct us, not only because they humble us, but they strengthen us. You know, James chapter 1 verse 2 says, Consider it a great joy, 
my brothers and sisters, whenever you experience various trials because you know that the testing of your faith produces endurance. Other translations say patience. The testing of your faith produces patience. And if we look around our world today and some of us in the midst of our trials right now, I think it's not difficult to say that, that, that patience, endurance is, is pretty needful today, isn't it? It can be pretty needful. I mean, you know, it's, it's a ridiculous question to ask that, does anybody in here struggle with patience? All right, we all do. Right, patience with ourselves. Maybe it's somebody we're thinking of right now. Ooh, patience with that person. Maybe you're the person other people are going, ooh, patience with that person. We all struggle with it with diff- in different ways and in different times. Sometimes we pray this prayer, God, I need patience now, which is kind of missing the point, Right? And when you think about it, what develops patience? Trials, going through things that require patience, right? What has a way of building our endurance? Difficulties, they strengthen us. But a part of the strengthening, I think, that comes through trials in our lives and why God would allow trials in our lives is that they equip us to help others. You see, I believe we're never really equipped to help a suffering person until we ourselves become suffering people. I really truly believe that. I went through a period in my own life where the depression I was suffering was so bad that I didn't just think about killing myself, I had a suicide plan in hand and I was moments from walking out of my house to go execute that plan. And through the divine intervention of God, I had a friend show up right as I was about to walk out the door, interrupted my train of thought, and praise God, I'm standing here before you today. (laughs) So thankful for that moment. But do you think that experience has helped me understand people dealing with crippling depression? Yeah, it has. It has. Do you think that experience helped me understand and be able to relate to people who although it's a deception from the enemy, believe it's so bad that the only way out is to end their own life. Yes, that experience definitely helped me understand that. This is why I think support groups and and, and that kind of stuff can be so helpful, right? You know, grief groups, loss groups, having friends and people you can surround yourself with that, that may be experiencing the same thing because there's something that happens when, when you know, you're going through it together with, something you, or with somebody or you're experiencing it together or you're the one that has experienced it before and came out the other side and you're able to say, no, I get it. I understand. I was there. Yes, I went through it. Like, yes, I remember those feelings and, 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 and you know, this is what I'm doing to get through it and this is what's helping me and here's scripture that's really speaking to my heart in this and, and it, they're, they're so powerful. 2 Corinthians chapter 1, verses 3 and 4 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. He comforts us in all of our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any kind of affliction through the comfort we ourselves receive from God. So trials are multicolored, various, diverse, uncountable in, 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 their, in their, you know, shades and hues. Trials cause grief and pain, but trials are also necessary and needful, and this is why we should embrace them when God allows them in our lives, because they are good for us. The fourth thing we learn about trials 
is that they reveal faith, or more specifically, they reveal what kind of faith we have. Look at 1 Peter 1, verse 7. So he goes on to say, right, that, that all this stuff happens. Um, the, the, the difficulties, you know, rejoice in, 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 in the future hope of heaven, you know, but while you're here now in this short time of this life, if necessary, sometimes these trials are necessary, you suffer grief through all these very many trials. But in verse seven, he goes, so that the proven character of your faith, which is more valuable than gold, which though perishable is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Now that phrase there, proven character, simply means the genuineness of your faith, the genuineness of your faith. You know, there's a story in the Old Testament where God had given Abraham the promise that he assured him. You're gonna have a son and, and your seed is gonna be more than the, the sands on the sea and more than the stars in the sky. And God fulfilled that promise and then one day he told Abraham, hey, I need you to go up in the mountain and I need you to sacrifice your son. And Abraham was like, um, okay. You know, and he went. He obeyed. But I'm sure there was struggle in that. How, how can you do that, God? And you read that story and you find out that at the end of that story, Abraham learned something very valuable about his faith. God knew. God knows everything. But at the end of that story where Abraham was willing to give it all for God, he was willing to sacrifice his son for God, and God stopped him at the very last moment, very last moment says, I provided myself a sacrifice. And there's a, a lamb in the thicket. That Abraham learned how much he truly believed God. Hebrews tells us a little more about that. That Abraham believed God so much, he was like, well, he's going to raise him from the dead. That's what's going to happen because God told me my offspring is going to be this numerous. And if he's telling me to sacrifice him, well, God's going to raise him from the dead. And Abraham, I believe, learned that about himself. And trials have a way of revealing to us how much we're right in tune and trusting God or on the flip side of the coin where we're maybe lacking a little bit. You know, he uses the, 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 the picture of, of gold there, right? Refined by fire, gold. And it's a picture of a goldsmith. In ancient times, goldsmiths can determine whether gold was, was true, genuine, or fake by putting it in the fire, heating it up a whole lot. And right before that alleged gold reached the smelting point of gold, right before it melted into liquid, a trained goldsmith can look at that and go, that's fake. Or that's real. And so if you want to know how to reveal what your faith is like, put it in the fire. Heat it up. Right? A faith that cannot be tested, I think, is a faith that cannot be fully trusted. And so God tests our faith, not to lead us into sin. Right? God is not trying to get us to stumble and get us to fall, but he leads us into these trials to reveal the genuineness of our faith, the character of our faith. And I've seen people go through difficult trials, insanely difficult things, and, 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 and they're just wiped out. They're hopeless. It, it's, it's like they seem like their life is over, and it, it seemingly destroys them. And most often, the people that go through difficulties like that and come out hopeless are people that don't have Jesus Christ in their life because there is no hope in a life without Christ. But sometimes I've seen even believers get to a point where they feel like it's too much. I, I, I can't do it anymore. And I've seen others go through the same trials, the same heat, 
the same experience, feeling the same pressure. And then when they come out the other side of the trial, they're seemingly improved, better, stronger because of it. God allows trials in our lives to help us understand our faith, where we are strong, where we are lacking, where we're depending on ourselves too much, where we need to depend on him more for things. You see, God's after your faith. He's not after you. He's not trying to destroy you. He's trying to stretch and strengthen and solidify your faith. And that's why he allows trials. The fifth thing we learn about trials is not only do they reveal our faith, but as I was talking about, they refine our faith and prepare us. See, the last part of that verse there, so that the proven character of your faith, more valuable than gold, which though perishable, is refined by fire, may result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. God pours all these experiences into our lives. Every experience. Now, contextually, we're talking about trials. And so, all the experiences we have, including trials, God pours them into your life. Pours them into us, shaping us, molding us, and refining us. And at the end of our life, when we see Jesus, we're going to stand before Jesus that much more purified. That is this process that God has, has got, God has taken place in our lives. He's not out to burn you. He's not out to hurt you and destroy you. He's out to bless you. He's out to make your life better and stronger. He's out to mold us and shape us so that we look more like Jesus Christ. And sometimes those blessings are disguised in trials, in difficulty. And you might say in those trials, I don't want that. I'm not taking that, God. I refuse. I'm not going to do it. But God says, I'm, I'm, I'm refining you. I'm preparing you for glory. Trust me. And so my encouragement to all of us in our trials, take it. Receive it. Embrace it. You know, even Jesus had to go through this when he was uh, in the garden. And he said, Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nonetheless, and this is the lesson, not my will, but your will be done. And Jesus took that cup, and the Bible calls it the cup of suffering, and he drank deeply from it. Why? So that a relationship that was broken between you, his creation, and him, your creator, that broken relationship can be restored. He took that suffering. It says, for the joy set before him, he endured the cross. All the the humiliation and the pain and the torture of that trial, he endured it. He went through it because God the Father said, it is my will for you to go through this because I know the outcome, the, the, what this trial is going to produce. And what it produced was our salvation. What it produced was complete forgiveness. What it produced was a Savior who says, every trial you're ever going to go through, I get it. I understand. I've been there. And you could trust me in everything. Warren Wearsby said, if God puts you in the furnace, his eye is on the clock and his hand is on the thermostat. Praise God. He's not doing it to destroy you. He's allowing it to refine you. In Job chapter 23, verse 10, this is what Job said. He goes, yet he knows the way I've taken and when he has tested me, I will emerge as pure gold. You see, goldsmiths, when they were purifying gold, They would heat it up to the point where it would just turn into liquid, 
liquid gold bubbling in these pots and it's just boiling, bubbling liquid gold. And what would happen is as the temperature went out, the impurities that were in that gold would rise to the top and the goldsmith would skim that crustiness off so that the gold was pure. And then the heat would continually go up and go up and more impurities would rise to the surface and he would skim those things off. And he would keep this process up until he had perfectly spotless, pure, refined, perfect, high-quality gold. And some ancient sources say that the goldsmiths knew that the refining process was complete when the goldsmith could lean over that pot of boiling gold and see his own reflection. That's when he knew the refining process was complete. Do you guys see the analogy there? We say, when are the trials done in my life? When is this trial done? When God the Father looks at you and sees Jesus, God the Son, reflected in our life. And we're going to have the rest of our lives to go through this process because the process of becoming more and more like Jesus is going to take a lifetime. But one day, it'll be done, and we will stand before Jesus in glory, in praise, and in honor, celebrating him and the work that he's done. But now, today, it's a part of God's will and God's plan for our lives. In Romans 8, 29, it says, For those he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son. And that is indeed what we signed up for. When we came to that place of realizing I've sinned against God, I deserve judgment, but God himself died for me and paid the price for my sin so that I could be forgiven and washed clean, purified and refined into spotless, blameless perfection because of his work and what he's done. Because of all of that, because of his work, I will one day be conformed into the very image of his son. That is what we signed up for. Giving our lives to him to mold us, to shape us, to refine us all to the glory of God. And that the glory of God would shine in and through us how we live now, who we are now, and who we're going to be then. So as the fire goes up, we come out pure. We come out better. We come out more refined. And then God looks in your life and he goes, wow, I see a lot of my son in you. And we go, great. Fire goes down, trial's over. Awesome, life is beautiful. Let's move on. No more of that ever again. This is great. But as we live in this world, a little bit of filth enters our lives. A little bit of impurity. A little bit of crustiness comes. And guess what? Whoosh, the fire goes back up. The heat of the trial comes back in our lives, and we go, I hate this. I hate it. Why is this happening? Because after, God wants to be able to look at you again and go, okay, I see my son in you again. And that is beautiful. That is wonderful. That is to be embraced by us. And so let's stop telling God that, that you know, our trials are too big. Let's stop telling God, stop the trials. No more trials, God. Because it's likely he's going, ain't going to happen because I'm allowing this one. Why? Because he's doing a work. And so instead, let's start telling our trials and ourselves how big our God is. 
Let's start looking at our trials and say, I don't know what need in my life my, my almighty, sovereign, loving God and Father in heaven is doing. I don't know what need in my life he is, he is, he is meeting, but I embrace it because I want to be more like him. I want to be more refined. I want to be continually conformed into the image of his son. And so how about we look at what we're going through today in our lives, what's, what, what's right in front of us. And yes, we're looking forward to heaven and we can't wait to get there. But today, in the trial I'm going through right now, the difficulty I'm struggling with right now, say God is way bigger than that difficulty. God's purpose is way bigger than I could possibly know and I accept it. God is in control. God knows what he's doing. And if you're in that trial today, trust him. Because that, trusting him, is exactly what we signed up for. We may hate the trial. We may be grieved by it, but be glad. Because he's refining you. He's correcting you. He's strengthening you. He's equipping you. And he's purifying your faith so that it would result in praise, glory, and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Amen? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much, God, for your word. We thank you for who you are and what you're doing. God, we, I think, rarely understand <laughs> exactly why you're allowing the trials in our lives, Lord. But, but I think all of us, God, as your children, we could look back and we could see with that, with, that, with that hindsight what you did, what you were doing, and why you allowed it. And so, God, we look forward to the trials that, that we are in now, God, um, God, knowing they're going to hurt, knowing they're going to be difficult, knowing they're going to cause us grief, and God, they're going to be so varied and so diverse and so multicolored and just infinite in their complexity and difference, God, but, but you, you're almighty. You know. You know what we're going through. And so God, if I'm in a trial today and you're still allowing it, then I trust you, God. And may we all have that attitude because we know, God, that sometimes the trials you allow us to go through are necessary for us to correct us, to humble us, to strengthen us, God. That we would not only be more refined and more like the image of Jesus Christ, but God, we would also be ready to help our brothers and sisters in difficulty. And so, Lord, thank you. God, as you reveal, maybe there's some areas of our faith that, that, that aren't as strong as you want them to be, God, and you reveal them through trials, God. Help us to be in that place of saying, wow, I need to trust God more and to, to just go back to you instead of trusting in ourselves. Because we know, God, that you have the power to save us. You have the power to keep us safe and secure. And God, it's through your power that as your children, you're gonna get us to heaven. So bless us, Lord in our trials. Help us to rejoice in our trials. We love you so much. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Oh, God bless you guys. Let's worship.